Hi, everyone, and welcome to the I Am Landscape Growth Podcast, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs grow faster, better, and stronger in the green industry. From leadership to sales to recruiting and operational excellence, we cover the topics holding entrepreneurs back and share how to get past those bottlenecks with the best in the industry. I'm your host, Rob Murray, co-founder and CEO of Intrigue, a digital marketing company focused on helping landscape companies grow. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the I Am Landscape Growth Podcast. I have the honor and privilege of bringing John Spence onto the show. Thank you so much, John, for doing this. My pleasure. Um, If you haven't had the chance of um, reading, hearing, or being exposed to John Spence's stuff, it is absolutely amazing. I had the opportunity of being introduced through one of um, our client's business coaches and then just so happened to get to meet you live in person in Victoria for one of the EO conferences. Um, and, you know, and since, you know, I've been diving into your content like crazy. And um, one of the things we're going to talk about today is, you know, your approach to customer engagement and, you know, that customer obsession we just talked about. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from. So before we get into the, the, the interview, can you just give uh, kind of like a Coles note summary of kind of where you are right now and how you've gotten here over the years? Um, I know there's a lot to it and people can see your TED Talks and that type of thing, but maybe just give us a Coles note so people have some context around, you know, uh, what you're up to. I'll do it super fast. We'll do the fun version. Uh, after failing out of college on the first try because of spending way too much time and on the, be- in, on the beach and in the bars, uh, I had to re restart college, and I ended up graduating number four in the United States in my major, got hired by one of the Rockefeller Foundations right when I was coming out of college and became CEO of that foundation when I was 26 years old. So fast forward, I I ran that foundation for a while. I ran a a large uh, consulting firm for a while. I've owned a couple of companies, and now at 59, I spend most of my time traveling around the world, uh, teaching businesses from startups to the Fortune 10 how to improve. And my whole thing is trying to make complex business ideas as simple and easy to apply as possible. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, and, and seriously, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. Um, so one of the, the, the theme of this podcast is to helping these these entrepreneurs um, get through the, you know, the growth constraints that are kind of holding them back. Um, we, we talked about two briefly, um, one around a transition to working with commercial accounts, which I think we can talk to near the end. Uh, but the other one is this idea of, you know, this, this customer orientation and trying to understand the customers we have to be able to get more of them, um, and be able to delight them. So can you just speak a little bit to that? You're, you're talking a little bit about that, you know, there's one simple question we could be asking folks, like where are people missing the, the boat when it comes to, you know, approaching the customers they already have? So I'm going to, I'm going to hit a couple things. First, I want to talk about the fact that as a business owner, uh, your mo- most important customers are your employees that, you know, to your customer, they may or may not get to say, and as your company grows, they're not going to get to see you all the time, but they see the people on their property. So, you know, treating them with respect and dignity and, and creating a great culture, all those things are critical. I've got a, a saying that I really enjoy, which is the customer's experience will never exceed the employee's experience. So that's sort of a stage one. Stage two is really being a customer fanatic. What I, I'm using all these phrases. I'm sorry. I'm get oh, give, give her, give her, give her. Yeah, is um, whoever owns the voice of the customer owns the marketplace. And I've been involved in the landscaping industry for almost 20 years with a couple of my clients. 
And I'll, I'll tell a brief story about this and the question. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, this was a landscaping firm that was in a, about the $3 million, $4 million range are now up in the $400 million range. And one of the things that changed it was we, as they were going commercial and really starting to get some big accounts that, that were millions of dollar accounts, we, uh, we went to six of their top clients and said, would you come in and sit on a customer advisory panel? And brought him in, got a, a room at a, a, a hotel, a big, you know, not a ballroom, but a meeting room. We had their entire senior staff sitting there from the company. And we had their top customers sitting behind a table with microphones. And we asked them just a couple of questions. And the, mo the most important one is, why specifically do you do business with us? What are the top three or four reasons? And I'll, I'll say that again. Why specifically do you do business with us? What are the top three or four reasons? All six said basically the same thing. And they turn around and said, okay, we're going to build that. That will be the strategy of our entire company. Because we figure if six of our, our top, top clients that represent 80% of our revenue all hire us for the same three or four reasons, we have to be world-class in those reasons. We got to be awesome at that. And that's really what they built their entire strategy, their growth strategy around. And they do that every year. They pick a bunch of their top clients um, they do a lot of surveys, net promoter score and things, but they're constantly asking that question. What do we need to do to make you really, really happy? And that feedback has allowed them to be wildly customer focused and own the voice of the customer. Yeah, it's beautiful. Right? I mean, and it's so beautifully simple, you know, mm -hmm. going back to what you're know, awesomely simple. <laughs> um, yeah, asking your best customers, why specifically do you do business with us? Like, you know, three or four reasons. Um, and then using that as an orientation to, you know, build, whether it's a three to five year focus, an annual focus, whatever, uh, to double down on making those things that they say, you know, a world-class competency. I just think that is awesomely the, simple. The way I look at it is if a group of people over here that, that represent your very best customers, the ones you'd like to have lots more just like them, if, if a big group of them all say the same three or four reasons, that that pattern there becomes your strategy. It becomes your unique selling proposition. It should be all over your website because they are, you know, if they're going to buy their prop, other people are probably going to buy for the same reasons. Stake, in my opinion, put your strategy around that, put all your advertising and marketing around that and continue to ask the question. But it's a pretty solid bet. If a whole bunch say the same thing, that's really how you are going to succeed in the marketplace. Yeah, that's cool. And it's also, I mean, the voice of the customer, the perception is reality, right? Their perception is your reality. So um, trying to fight that is probably not the best way to go. So I think it's it's, it's a really cool approach. So, and, and often overlooked, right? Like taking a bit of time to pull together your best customers in a customer advisory board, you know, in terms of overall resources, it's not crazy, um, but a lot of people forget maybe to do it, right? Yeah, so, you don't have to do the, get the hotel ballroom, bring the whole staff in, just go ask them, talk right. to them, pick up a phone, call them, uh, chat with them. And and the the reason that question is so specific is I want to, I only want to know four reasons. I don't want to know 44. I just right. want the top three or four because it's that pattern that tells, that gives me the confidence to say, okay, like I ask my clients every year and I've been doing it for tw 25 years and I get the same thing every year. Research, real life, uh, passion equals ROI. I read 100, 120 business books a year I have for 25 to 30 years. Uh, I work with companies all over the world. I've got, I've owned companies and done it. And I know what it's like to have to sign paychecks and fire people. 
And I've dedicated my whole life to doing this. And because of that, people get a return. That's all over my stuff. It's all over my website. That's literally, yeah, literally everywhere because all of my top clients that spend a lot of money with me tell me those are the three reasons they hire me. I love it. So then on this idea of um, that customer orientation, the clients and making sure we understand them better, um, moments of truth. So can we just give the audience kind of some quick context around what those are and maybe how they can start to find them? Yep. Yep. Uh, So I'll I'll give the quick backstory quickly. Uh, That's it. If I've been giving a quick backstory, then it's pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, Years and years ago, the Scandinavian Air Systems was on the verge of bankruptcy. And they brought a new guy in named Jan Carlson to turn the airline around. And he looked at it and said, this is totally messed up. We're just going to have to start from scratch, basically. And he said, then if we're going to do that, let's build the new business focused on the very, very, very best customers in the marketplace. And in the airline industry, that's frequent business travelers, people like me that are on you know, the road a couple hundred days a year. And, and as the you know, as your, your um, listeners are thinking, who would be your best customer? If you looked in your community or your region, who would be the people that would be the awesome customers that would grow your business? That's what he did with the airline. Then he backed up and said, now let's look at every single touch point that we have with them from you know, when they call in to make a reservation to when they show up to get their tickets, when they go to the gate, when they get on the plane, the food, all of that. And then let's back up and look at for our best customers, what are the three or four things we must do flawlessly? Those moments of truth. And I always use a very simple example is restaurants. Uh, I've done, I've asked this question to tens of thousands of people. Basically at a restaurant, there's only four major moments of truth. Uh, good service, reasonable prices, good quality food for the prices, and cleanliness. And I've I've heard that all over the world. Yeah. So my example is if you went to a restaurant and the, the service was magnificent, the people were wonderful, they brought you, you know, ice cold beer, and, and you looked at the prices, and the prices are really reasonable. The food comes out, it's awesome. Then you go in the bathroom and it's it's disgusting, it's dirty. And in a restaurant, here's a great example. If you go in the bathroom and it's dirty, the first question you ask yourself kitchen. is, I wonder what the kitchen looks like, right? So here's my point. They've done, they, maybe they did a hundred touch points. It was easy to park, plenty of lighting. It's air conditioning's perfect. Music, blah, 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 blah. everything's right. They nail three of the four moments of truth. Great service, great food, reasonable prices. They miss up one moment of truth, cleanliness, and they lose the customer forever. And actually they become what I call a customer terrorist. Right. They go around telling everybody, don't do business with them. So for your folks, and part of this comes from asking that question, why are the three or four reasons? And then stepping up and and also remember that you have moments of truth internally, things you have to do for each other that allow you to do the things externally. Landscaping industry. If the folks back at the the, the, uh, head office are not getting the machines ready, Mm. And not fixing stuff. It's kind of hard to do landscaping when your machinery is there working. on time. Yeah, the truck won't start, or the you know the lawnmower doesn't work, or you know it's all out of gas or whatever. Yeah, all that stuff. If that that seems simple, but if you don't follow that process, then you're going to fail at the end. I'm going to do a really quick another story because I travel so much. I go to a lot of restaurants, and I eat the same breakfast every morning: two eggs over medium, sausage patty, or blank piece of dry whole wheat toast. I will go to a restaurant, a really nice restaurant for breakfast, and I'll give that order and the waiter or waitress will not write anything down. 
They want to impress me with their amazing memory. And I like, I'm like, oh, you know, here, here it's gonna go. You know, it's only four items: iced tea, eggs, blah, blah, blah. They're gonna mess it up. Yeah. And the process is simple. Write down the order. They skip that one step. They ruin my breakfast. And I, I watch them having it. And they got to return stuff. They got to recook stuff. It's that simple little one step that messes up the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So as you look at your own company, what are the moments of truth that have to be done flawlessly? And then what processes do you put in place? What training, resources, all that stuff to make sure that those things are perfect every single time. Yeah, I love it, right? So it's like looking at your, it's almost reverse engineering. How do we make a yep. flawless experience for the customer? And then what do we have to do as a team to make sure that we're ready to create that flawless experience? It's exactly right. So and again, that's internal as well as external. Yeah, the machines have to run, the accounting has to be good. So right. the billing's on time. And then in, in in the landscape business, so somebody who is, let's say, focused on whether it's residential or commercial, is, is there one example that comes to mind just to get their minds kind of working on the, from a starting point of, oh, yeah, okay, I understand that would be a moment of truth for my customer. Yeah, uh, so here's what I learned from the company I worked with. Don't surprise me. You know, be proactive. Get there and fix stuff before I see that a tree is dying or a sprinkler's broken or something like that. Uh, number two, give me, I love this one, give me three prices, and I'm not always going to pick the lowest. Right. Sometimes I'll pick the highest, but don't just come in and give me one price. Give me a range of options uh, and then be on time and be respectful. Is you know, Don't go right up to the window and air blow in the middle of the afternoon. Let's get this stuff done when the, the places are on. So it's all about no surprises. Give me options. Tell, give me advice. This right. is why I should replace this tree or redo these things over here. Why you know we should cut more often or what it might be. But those are the main things, which now back up. If I owned a commercial property, I don't want to come in one day and see a dead tree laying there. I don't want to see water shooting out of a sprinkler. Uh, I want my landscaping firm to come and make recommendations. Hey, we ought to do this, change this, move more mulch or whatever it might be. Easy. Uh, yeah, easy stuff. And then, oh, the big one, true communication. Keep me in the loop. Let me know what's going on. Communicate with me, which is yeah. part of the don't surprises. That's that was the one in the landscape firm that, that I, or the firms that I've worked with is stay in touch, pick up the phones, you know, ask how they like it. Do you want a phone? Do you want a text? Do you want an email? But keep them informed. Let them know what's going on. You, you got to build a relationship there. And oh. you get these big accounts, whoo, messing up one relationship can hurt real bad. Like yeah, big time. six figures, seven figures bad. Well, and, and, and it's, and again, awesomely simple. I mean, there's a theme obviously here, John, but yeah. Um, Letting someone know when you're coming and when you leave, when you're leaving, um, is is really simple. And there's you know technology that can automate the whole thing, so you can just say, hey, we're you know we're being um, routed towards you right now. Crew's on the way. Hey, we just finished up. You know, thanks so much for the day. The crew's done. We're leaving now. Um, here's quick notes of what you know they found on the property that day. Um, what our, this guy does is they, they take quick pictures. Boom, boom, boom. Use your cell phone. Bam! Here's a tree that was dead. We were, this is why we replaced it. Or here's the sprinkler. Or here's an area we think needs to be fixed. They just boom, quick picture and shoot the picture to him and say, "This is what it looked like when we got here. This is what it looked like when we left." Love it. Okay, so then we, we're talking about customer obsession, and one of the first things you said was, "Well, the first thing is the the entrepreneur, the business owner's customer is the team." Yep. First and foremost, and the the customer experience is never going to exceed. The team's experience, which I'm a full fan, I believe that 
wholeheartedly. I mean, Southwest Airlines did a fantastic job, I think, you know, making that a reality. Um, can you just break that down a little bit so that people understand the context behind it and then maybe some of the things that you're seeing people do really well with engaging those teams? Yeah, and, you know, in the industry, I think both everybody listening knows is the folks out in the field on the property are, that's a tough group. They're the ones that are doing the actual work. They're really, again, as I say, they're the face of your company. They're the ones that people like actually, see, like literally, literally the face of your company. Well, I, I always tell the story. I live in Florida. Publix is the major grocery store here. Mm-hmm. And I'll get in an audience in Florida and say, you know, how many of you shop at Publix? And every hand goes up just about. And I say, okay, how many of you know the fam personally know the family that owns Publix? Nobody. How many of you personally know the CEO of Publix? Nobody. How many of you know the, the manager for the state of Florida of Publix? Nobody. How many of you personally know your regional manager? Nobody. How many personally know your store manager? Now I'll get maybe six hands, three hands out of 100. How many of you know the people that check you out every day and you bag your and bring your stuff to your car? Every hand goes up. I go, do you understand that the people at the cash register and the person who carries your groceries are publics to you? All those other people could be awesome, but if that person's rude, you're gone. Yeah. So um, the, the thing that I've really seen, both internal, you know, for people that head office and out in the field, the teams, is culture. It's it's do you treat people with dignity and respect? Do we try to have fun? Do we uh, keep them in the loop on things? Do we give them a, a sense of pride? You know, we're going to give them nice trucks. We're going to paint them. We're going to put a nice logo on them. Give them good equipment. Uh, we're going to celebrate them when something goes well. We're going to, you know, the one of the firms I work with twice a year, they do a celebration barbecue or a dinner and they just take, they go into the Simple. shed and put a bunch of chairs out, not, nothing, you know, spectacular. And they give away some swag. Here's some shirts, hats. Here's a, you know, a couple of gift cards, things like that. For the folks that are out on the property, that is a big deal for them to have a whole day where we just, we're going to do anything but tell you. Nothing gets done without all of you out in the field. You are the heart and soul of the business. And it's the same thing internally is having a great culture. You, you can't pay. It. Some people are driven by money. I think most people that do this know rough. Well, here's roughly what everybody says is as long as I'm making 10% more or less than I would make any place else, um, money isn't the major motivator. If, if I, you know, some people, if I can jump and go down the street, and make a few bucks more, they'll go. But for most people, if I love the company I'm working in, I like the people I work with, I'm treated fairly, um, it's got a family atmosphere, uh, I, I take pride in where I work, a few bucks more is not going to pull them away, and they will become loyal employees and part of the family. So it, it isn't all about money, it's about how you treat people and how you celebrate them and make them feel good about what they're doing and tie a direct line between what they do every day and the overall success of the organization. Yeah, I love it. And so um, a lot of times, you know, we talk um, a lot on this idea of growth on purpose. And a big part of that is um, living core values and because uh, then they'll create a culture because culture exists no matter what, you know, right. whether, whether you intend it or not, it's there. Um, core values can shape culture if, mm-hmm. you know, done properly. Um, but a lot of times we'll hear feedback from entrepreneurs being like, you know, we tried this thing and it was okay. Then it kind of fizzled. We, you know, we didn't do it again. Uh, or like, Oh, we don't have the time to do that kind of stuff. 
what do you what do you say to the audience in terms of like first of all making the time how valuable it is or one or two things that they can do you know and keep make it stick for a long time so that way it actually turns into something you know that that breeds that kind of culture that you're talking about so when people tell me they don't have enough time it, it's i'm not a violent person but it takes everything i can not to choke them um how can you not have time for this? It is your business. If you don't do this, you will not have a business or your turnover will be out of control. And you know, I worked for a boat manufacturing company once and, I, and some guy, this is a stupid rule. You can't take more than 15 bolts or, or, or screws to, to go work on the boat. So put 15 in, go get 15 more. So the guy said, put a handful. The manager chopped the boss saw him, said, you're out of here. That's it. I told the owner, do you know that cost you about $160,000 for that guy to put screws in the boat to get fired? Because now you got to pay this, you got to retrain somebody, you got to rehire somebody, insurance, blah, blah, blah. As soon as you realize that, it, the whole thing shifted. You have to realize if you've got bad culture and turnover, it's costing you a lot of money. Mm. And culture to me, and you said it very well, culture is there no matter what. Culture by design is really the way to do it. What kind of a culture do we want? Uh, and then it's totally from the leadership team. If the leadership team doesn't make time. Um, another thing that makes me crazy is people that have, like I work with a lot of uh, credit unions. I, you know, the CEO goes and visits the, the uh, branches one hour a year. Like you got 15 branches. Swing by and visit one on the way to work in the morning. Swing by and visit one on the way out. You should be there at least once a month or every two weeks for a half an hour, an hour. Go out and see your folks in the field. Go spend time with them. Hang out with them, you know, in the shed or whatever. Get to know them because if you're not interacting with them at that level, they will not feel loyal to the organization. And that's how, if you want a culture of fairness and friendly and family and all the things, that doesn't happen by chance. It happens because you make an effort to go out and celebrate people, praise them, spend time with them give them training, give them development, help them get better at their job. Those things are planned and they are much less expensive than massive turnover. Yeah. Massive, massive, massively much less expensive. So, yeah. um, was it, I think John C. Maxwell, you have to win a heart before you ask for a hand. Uh, absolutely. I've never heard that one, but it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. And I think what you just said and the way you articulated it, you know, exemplifies that well. So then let's let's assume that there's some people listening right now and they've always wanted to do something like this, have never really done it. They don't know how to start. What, what would be a tip to kind of get into it and start building some sort of habit, routine or tradition that'll engage their team? Well, I'll give you a, I told you I've worked at the Rockefellers for a while and we did some work with them and I'm trying to think it was Carnegie uh, Foundation. It was Andrew Carnegie that used to put three pennies in his right pocket and say, I have to go out and talk to three people today. And as soon as I talk to one person, I can move one penny to the other pocket. And that got him out of his office every day, walking out on the floor, meeting people, because his rule to himself was all three pennies must be in the other pocket before I leave today. That's just a simple thing of make the time, get out of your chair. Yeah. The other things are really so easy. I know it's so easy. Yeah. You know, it, or, you know, I've got one guy that, that I work with the CEO, his office is on the third floor and you know, the, the exit is out on the first floor. I'm like never take the elevator, walk through the office, the second floor where you've got a hundred employees that barely know you 
every single time you go up and down, it'll be good for your health mm. and it'll be great for your company. So how do you build a little bit? They call it MBWA, management by walking around or wandering around. The other thing is to is to plan, you know, uh, giving a lunch out or having a pizza party or, you know, having everybody stop for a minute to celebrate one person, maybe having an employee of the month award, um, doing something nice like, you know, giving somebody a gift certificate to take their family out. And it doesn't have to be money. A handwritten note is an unbelievably positive thing. Because if you take the time to sit at your desk and write somebody, you know, you're really doing a great job. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much for being on our team. If you did two or three of those a month, you would have people that would run through walls for you. So it doesn't have to be expensive. It just needs to be heartfelt and you need to make the time. And that's the whole senior team. You know, and, and again, I'm going to say if the top leader, one or two leaders don't think that that's a good idea. And it's been time, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Yeah, that's totally yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, I love I like the the little notes. We have these things, little awesome. Yeah, there you go. Awesome citation. That's yeah. fantastic. Uh, game on Amazon. A pack is like three bucks or something like that. Um, and, and so the Gallup Poll International Survey, uh, Organizational Health Survey. There's like the mm -hmm. uh, twelve questions or something like that. The, yeah, the um, Gallup Q12. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and so one of the things, one of the areas that. Uh, you, you know, cross-cultural uh, lowest rated score was uh, I've received praise uh, for doing good work in the last seven days. Yep. Uh, organizations across the world scored low. So, and we did, we did too the first time we did it. So let me, let me um, give you a really cool idea around that. Shoot. When I left the, when I, when I left the foundation, I was a stand-in CEO at several companies and one of, and they'd always say, you know, John, what's your vision? And I'm like, I don't have one. I'm going to be gone in six months. Right. I'm just, I'm, my job is to come here, hold the fort down, hire somebody new, take the company over. But what I can tell you is I'm going to make the, this the best place you've ever worked while we're here together. And part of that was what I call creating a culture of catching people doing things right. You know, I tell a senior executive, you got someone needs praise once every, and it's actually closer about once every five days now, but every five to seven days, like, I don't have time to do that. No, no, you maybe not. You should still be out praising people. But what I would do is I would challenge everybody every day when you come in for work, every day, I want you to catch three people doing something right. Doesn't have to be massive, just, okay, you put the, you wipe down the weed eater before you put it back or you, you did this or you, you know, you brought some coffee, whatever it might be, but everybody is challenged to find to three times a day, say, thank you for doing that. I appreciate you. I'm glad on your team. What happens then is you get tons of praise around the culture and the way I used to describe it. That means when you go to work in the morning, you know that you get to make a couple of people's days better. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to make some people and everybody else is trying to make your day better. I, so I love it. Yeah. And not to mention the uh, the habit forming of looking for positive versus yeah. what leaders are naturally prone to do, which is look for things that are broken that need to be fixed. Um, so I think that's a beautiful habit that can be instilled really easily. Very easily. Uh, and then and then also, you know, layer on top of it, if you can say it with a core value attached to it, hey, you're practicing this, rock on, you know, bring them to life. I just think that's super cool. So I, okay. it's a great idea to add to tie it into the core values. Fantastic idea. So we got um, customer obsession, this idea that team is customer, um, you know, the moments of truth. And then you talked a little bit as a growth constraint, um, as you know, an entrepreneur that's going from the ground up, you know, they started off with a truck and a mower, let's say. Yep. And it's 15, 20 years later, they're a four or $5 million company. Um, outside help, 
you kind of mentioned that there there's huge opportunities as you're growing to figure out you know different types of people to bring into the organization whether it's a mentor a coach or even somebody inside internally full-time on the senior leadership team um, to help run the business at different levels as it grows so can you just speak to you know what you've seen there and kind of how that applies to folks yeah i i see this across all industries is somebody starts a small business an entrepreneur by themselves, two or three employees, they look up one day and they have 30 employees, then 100, then 300. Uh, and what some entrepreneurs have to admit is, I don't have the skills to run 100 million. I don't, let's just say that I don't have the skills to run a 10 million or a $20 million company. I was way in over my head at 5 million. <laughs> I did right. scraping by, got lucky. So part of it is you have to understand that at some point you have to bring in somebody that has strong business experience. You might know landscaping really, really well. You might know your community well, but running a $5 million or $10 million company is different than running a $500,000 company. The idea of advisors, uh, mentors, brilliant. I do a lot of work in New Zealand. Even small companies have a board of directors or a board of advisors. Almost every company. I'm talking a million dollars or less. Right. They get three or four people. So another thing that, and I, I think your industry has this, is uh, non-competitive groups that get together and share information and ideas. Yeah, for sure. There's yeah. lots of peer-to-peer -peer learning. Peer-to-peer -peer learning. That is awesome. Um, and then there's another idea called creating a mastermind group. Are you familiar with that? Very much so. Yeah. It, and that is, I, I've had, when I failed out of college, one of the things that changed my life was, I created a mastermind group, which was basically my study group. Mm. And I got, you know, I said, anybody wants, I'd stand up every semester. Hi, I'm John. I really want to do all this class. I'm going to start a study group. Anybody's willing to be in the study group, as long as you have a 3.6 GPA or higher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I surrounded myself with really talented people that raised my game and everybody else's game. Same thing. I have a, I'm, I just said earlier, I'm almost 60. I still have a, a study group. I've got a group of CEOs. We all read together. We meet, we go to dinner. We help each other with our businesses. We're all non-competitive. We're in completely different industries. So that idea of having a team of people to help you, uh, whether it be an advisory board, an outside consultant, a coach, a mastermind group, the more, the, the more, the better, uh, you know, well, I did a Ted talk on this. You probably remember the most important thing I've ever learned in my life is you become what you focus on and like the people you surround yourself with. Whatever you're reading, studying, learning, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you fill your brain and your mind with, whoever you choose to spend your time with will directly determine the rest of your life. And it's the same thing in your business. What does your business focus on? Are you learning, are you innovating, are you growing? And then who is on your team in your business? Those two things completely determine the success of your organization. I love it. And so from a mindset perspective, and we were, I was talking about a little bit uh, a couple of minutes ago, um, a lot of entrepreneurs get fixated on what needs to be fixed. So like, this is broken. We got to make that better. We got to make that better. As opposed to everything, like, this is great. That is great. That is great. Can you speak to the different mindsets and like how that impacts people and their success or lack thereof? Yeah, I'm, it's interesting. I've, I haven't read this book yet, but I just got a one called Compassionate Accountability. And I'm not plugging because I haven't read it. I don't know if it's good. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's cool. But it's the idea of kindness and accountability is I'm going to treat you with respect. We're going to celebrate. We're going to, but I'm also going to make sure you absolutely do the things you need to do in your job. And the way to do that is to be exceedingly clear in expectations. 
And, you know, I don't like process, but if you want repeatable success, you must have process. So having specific measurements, ways that things get done, standard operating procedures, safety measures, things like that, that people are trained on all the time, then you have the ability to say, you know, you're okay, I like you. However, what you just did broke our safety protocol. Mm-hmm. And that can't happen. You're okay. Your behavior was not okay. So let's, I'm not going to worry about trying to fix you per se. I'm going to, let's fix the issue, the problem. So the, the way to create that is to have very clear stuff. So you can say, we have an ABC process, or you were supposed to, you know, you're one of your salespeople. You were supposed to close a million dollars worth of business this year. We're in October and you've only closed 500,000. What can we do? Not what will you do, but what can we do to help each other? Because the idea on this is you're not you're not reprimanding. I don't know, use rep. You're not fixing someone to be aggressive. You're doing it because we want everyone to succeed. That's yeah. the mindset that shifts. Is we're all on the same team. You know, I'm I'm holding you accountable because we want to be successful together. Well, and one of, one of the one of the things you just said though about clarity, I think is really important because a lot of people will get frustrated with their team, but the team doesn't know why they're frustrated, and then all of a sudden they just get blown up at. And yeah. so if we come back to that clarity piece, what are some tips you can give some folks now to be like, okay, here's how you get clear with people. And it doesn't have to be crazy. Like some people get overwhelmed with this idea of like, everything needs to be, you know, standard operating procedure. Yeah. Everything needs to be listed out like crazy. And I think it's overcomplicating and makes the whole thing like you don't even want to start because it's so big. So how can we peel it back and make it awesomely simple to get people moving towards clarity with their team? So there's, there's two things here. One is taking the time and not on everything, but on the stuff that's got to get done, our moments of truth, the core things is to create exceedingly clear expectations. Let people know what success looks like. I like to say, make it easy for them to win. Don't make them guess about what will make you happy or the client happy, the customer happy. Uh, I, I This is an old analogy. I haven't used it at all in years. It's kind of stupid, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's kind of like if you're a bowling alley and uh, the pins are what you want your customer, your employee to hit, but you put a curtain there mm. and they roll the ball and they hear clink and, they, and you go, try harder. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> try harder. Yeah. Try harder. How? I don't know what happened. Roll the ball harder. Yeah. Just roll the whole ball. You know what to do. Come on, man. Just try harder. So the idea is people need to know specifically what success looks like. They need to be trained to do it. And then the other side is wherever possible, and this is hard, make the um, expectations binary. Yes or no, black or white, you did it or you didn't. Um, If you can get as close to that as possible, then again, it isn't about you. It's you didn't do what you agreed you'd do. Right. Yeah, we we said we do A, you just did B. That's, That's, I'm not not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying you agreed on A and you got to do A going forward. Because if it gets you, I don't think you're doing a good job. I don't think you're trying hard. It doesn't seem to me you did that right. That's all opinion. Mm. And the other person can have an opinion that they did it right. Right. You need to take opinion and politics and favoritism and emotion out of it. You either did it or you didn't. Again, you're a good person until the point where it gets that you say, okay, this, this person isn't right for the company. Up until that time, it's you're a great person. This, this performance didn't meet the expectations that we agreed upon. Yeah, and well, and, and the beautiful part about that is a lot of people, if it's clear and they're not winning, they're stressed out and not happy. And having that conversation can be a relief. Like, why don't we get you being epic somewhere else? Like, if you can't make it epic here and you don't need to be stressed out. And we always talk about this idea of like, let's make sure you're happy and healthy. Yeah. If if people are stressed out, not happy, 
and stress will eventually turn into disease, like sick. People get sick when they're really stressed out for a really long yeah. period of time. If you're not happy and healthy, then let's figure out how to get you happy and healthy. Yeah, we use a thing called the three T's, train, transfer, or terminate. If I can't train you up in this place to be epic at this job, can I move you somewhere else in the company, not hide you or shovel you, but where you will be great and happy and healthy? And if I can't train you or transfer you to be happy and healthy, and, and I'm not saying when I say terminate, it's the three no, T's. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just the word, is, as Canadians often say, love them right out the door. <laughs> well, and let them be free to go be great somewhere else. Well, I just did this with one of my clients. I do a lot of executive coaching and she had a person in a company that they'd moved him around all over the place and he just wasn't succeeding. And then I helped him put in some key performance indicators, some binary measurements. And after about three weeks, he, it was too much pressure. He knew he couldn't do it. So this is what I counseled her on. I said, he's been here for seven years. He's a good guy. He just can't do the work. Tell him when you go to let him go. And he actually said, I think I need to go. And she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bust our ass to help you get the right job. Yeah. You tell me what you want to do. You tell me what would make you happy and healthy. And I will go out to my network and I will help you find the job that you want that will, where you will be able to, and I, I get to use your term again, where you will be epic. And he said, you do that for me? She said, of course. He, he, she said he was like the happiest person in the world who just lost their job. Right. Yeah. yeah. And but I did the same that... thing with my employees. You're a great person. You're just, this isn't the right place for you. You're going to be great someplace else. Let me help you find that place. I love that. And it comes from a place of compassion, which is an easy way to have a conversation as opposed to frustration or anger or whatever might be there without that. Yeah, frustration and anger doesn't help anything. Nobody. Okay. So um, I've taken up more time than we had scheduled. And I know <laughs> that uh, I don't want to do too much of that. So last one, wrap it up. Okay. And, you know, 120 business books a year for 25 years. If you could provide um, uh, the audience a resource, you know, whether it's a speaker, uh, a podcast, a TED Talk, something that's coming to mind, customer obsession, kind of being kind of the core focus of what we're talking about today, um, that you'd recommend, what would it be? Wow. I wish you'd asked me that before we got on here so I could think about it. Well, there, a couple. It doesn't have to be the best. Yeah, yeah. What well, first of all, this is going to sound weird, but like people that find this sort of thing on YouTube, I'm a big fan of using YouTube to find stuff. You know, there's more information available for free right now than ever in the history of humankind. Uh, you want to do training for your folks? Go find a couple of YouTube videos on customer focus, customer obsession, things like that. It doesn't cost anything. Um, I'm a huge fan for reading. Uh, I think I've said it before. If you read 12 books a year, you're in the top 1% in the world for personal continuous learning. So being a lifelong learner, being constantly, okay, I want to learn more about customer service. Let me go buy, go to Amazon, see the top three books at Amazon, buy one, read it. Whenever I meet somebody who's really successful, I always say, what are the top three business books you've ever read? Um, if I were to look at a book right now that I recently read, it would be um, Beyond Entrepreneurship or Business Entrepreneurship. It's called BE2 by Jim Collins. And Jim Collins is one of the most famous business guys in the history of business. I'm going to see him in October. Uh, and it's basically a compilation of all the books he's ever written. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And because, I mean, his books are, it's kind of tough, but, and he looks at bigger companies, but here's what I always say. I mean, I work for Apple and Microsoft. I also work for startups. It's the same thing. It's just more zeros. Mm. Pretty much every company struggles from the same five or six or 10 things. It's just 
instead of it being 10 people, it's 10,000. It's obviously more complicated, but communications, accountability, uh, <laughs> things like that, culture, doesn't matter. Uh, so that's it. And then do you have a resource center on your um, YouTube or on, on the, the, where they can go and look from? Yeah, on our, they our, listen to this our, or watch our, it? We have, we have blogs and resources. So guides, we've got a bunch of stuff on our website. Okay, use that. And then I'll send you, I've got a couple of, of I've got a list of the top six year 70 business or business books I've ever read. Actually, it's got some personal development books in there too. I also have a great list of questions you should ask yourself before you fire somebody. And here's why. If you can if you can say yes to all of them, yes, they have the resources. Yes, I've trained them. Yes, I've done that. Yes, yes, yes. Then they probably need to go. Here's what I'm going to tell you. 90% of the time, it's going to be yes, no, 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 no. And you go, let me look in the mirror because I didn't do the stuff they need for them to be successful. It's not about me terminating them. It's about me being a better leader or a better I manager. love that, man. I'll oh, send and, you a bunch of resources. Yeah, well, and I'll put it into the like the the summary for the the podcast. So everybody listening, you can just grab it from the summary notes wherever you're listening or watching this thing. And then if somebody wants to engage with John Spence, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? John Spence uh, dot johnspence.com is my website. But if somebody has a question or didn't get something or wants a specific book recommendation. My email is john at johnspence.com. Very innovative, isn't it? <laughs> awesomely simple, yeah, my man. Awesomely simple. And uh, I answer all my own emails. If it, you know, it might take me a couple of days to get back to you if I'm really busy. Uh, and if it's truly important or urgent, like I got a question I need some help with right now, write important or urgent in all caps on the, line, uh, the header, and I will read it immediately and get back to you as fast as you can. You're the best, John. Thank you so much for doing this. That's the way, as I said at the beginning, this is where we're all in this together. It's our job to help each other and all of us to be more successful and take care of our people. That's the, you know, people ask me why I got into this because every company I can help is 40 or 50 or a hundred or a thousand jobs and their families and their kids. I think leaders don't realize sometimes that it isn't just your business. It's all these people's lives. And you're responsible. When I was young, I used to lay awake in bed, worried about all the kids I had to put through college. I don't have kids, but I had families that I had to take care of by making sure our company was, was as successful as possible. I love it, dude. A true servant mindset. Thank you, John. My pleasure. Thank you. The I Am Landscape Growth Podcast is brought to you by Intrigue, where passionate marketing meets predictable results for entrepreneurs. Remember to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please visit IntrigueMedia.com and click on Podcasts.